You can go ahead and be seated. Thank you all so much for being here today. And those of you who are watching online right now, welcome to you. We're glad that you're here joining us for worship together. If you're new here, my name is Adam. I'm one of the pastors at First Free Church. We're so glad that you are joining us today as we worship God. We just worshiped him through our singing. Now we're going to worship him in a little bit through digging into his word and studying the Bible together. Before I do that, a couple of things I want to share with you. One is that um, coming up on November 7th, there is going to be a time change, as you all know, but there's going to be another time change as well because we are moving the second service, the one you're in right now, up 15 minutes. So it's going to be at 1045 again. We moved it during the pandemic for a couple of reasons. One, we needed the extra time to clean between the services and it wasn't quite enough time for us. We also needed the extra time for our tech people to get ready because we were doing some more complicated things back then tech technically uh, because of the pandemic. But uh, now we don't really need those anymore. And so we're ready to go back to the way things were before. We did a survey recently. We asked people, would you rather move the early service later or the late service earlier? And most people said the late service earlier, and that seemed to work well for everybody. So that is what we are doing. That is November 7th. So make sure you mark it on your calendar. We figured why not get it out of the way all at the same time? If you're going to have a time change, you might as well have the service time change at the same time, and that'll make it easy, right? Everyone remember to be here um, for November 7th, 15 minutes early, plus whatever the time changes, you know, fall, fall back, you know, all that kind of good stuff. The other thing I wanted to do with you before we get into the message is just kind of have a, a bit of a, a message for the parents, something that um, is especially relevant right now, but is important for us to think about all the time, and that is uh, parents of kids, whether you're watching online right now or you're here in this room, um, we know that the culture is working against our children constantly in so many different ways. And, and hitting them with messages that are not from God, that are completely unbiblical, and we are fighting in sometimes it feels like a, a really uphill battle against the culture, against their friends, against media, social media, everything that they see on TV, online, all of this is really, it's working against parents and against what God wants for our kids in a big way. And that, that is nowhere more true than it is when it comes to our sexuality. And so the culture and the world makes a big deal about sexuality and tries to deviate from God's plan in all sorts of different ways that are devastating to our young people. And, and Christian parents are oftentimes caught off guard by this because it's almost like we're playing defense where we get the sense of, well, when something happens, when they're exposed to something, when something comes up, then we'll talk about it. When really we need to be on offense, we need to be proactive with our children, helping them to understand what the Bible says about men and women and sexuality and God's design for all of that before they encounter it in the world. We shouldn't be waiting. We should be proactive. Who do you want to introduce your kids to these concepts for the first time? Their teacher or social media or their friends? Or should it be their parent who wants to show them from a biblical perspective, what does God do for this? So I just wanted to share a couple of resources with you this morning and tell you about an opportunity that's coming up here that relates to this. This is just what we do in our house. So I'll share this with you. Um, the first thing is uh, there's a book called The Story of Me, which is an excellent book for little kids to start to introduce them to men and women and how God made them and why they're different and why that's special. And then there's another one. The next book is Before I Was Born, which talks about 
where babies come from and all of that, but it's a really good way to introduce that to kids. And then uh, there's a book called Good Pictures and Bad Pictures Junior for a little bit older kids, but still fairly young. Great way to introduce kids to some of the dangers out there for them. And parents, you know what I'm talking about. And then there's Good Pictures, Bad Pictures. So there's the junior version and then there's the regular one. These are all really excellent books. I can't recommend them enough. We're already having these conversations at my home and I will tell you without going into detail, it is shocking what kids are already exposed to. It's shocking what my kids have already been exposed to. And you can't stop that uh, unless you're going to just completely shut them off from the outside world and say you can't have friends. In the day and age where every one of their friends seems to have a, a smartphone or an iPad, it is just really, really tough to stop it. And so what you have to do is you have to work proactively, parents, to make sure that your kids understand how is this all designed? How did God set this up? What are some good, healthy biblical principles to have? And I encourage you parents to do that. Uh, once they get into sixth grade, we actually offer some special things here at First Free to help with this. Because I know this can be such an awkward thing to talk about. So Mom and dad, if you've got a 6th grade or older 6th through 12th grade boy in particular, there's an opportunity coming up, and it is a flag football event. Well, it's disguised as a flag football event. It's an opportunity for you to talk with your son, for dads to talk with their sons. It doesn't have to be dads. It could be granddads. It could be a mentor of some kind, but it's an, an older man with a, with a teenage boy who's talking about what does the Bible say about sex. And I could not recommend this to you more. There'll be flag football. There'll be smoked meats. It'll be super fun. There'll be a great speaker talking about God's design for sex and then a guided conversation with a booklet that'll walk you through it on how to have a conversation with your kid. Just do not put this off. This is so important. Um, this is so important that we're actually going to be expanding this. So we've been doing this for a couple of years now. And we will continue to do so. We've offered this for fathers and sons. We've offered this for mothers and daughters. In fact, my wife spoke at the last one for mothers and daughters. And uh, we're going to increase this a little bit. I was just talking with Steve a little bit ago. And we're going to offer something for fathers and daughters and mothers and sons in the future as well. So on a rotation, we're going to try to build in more and more of these parenting helps. But if you have a son who is sick through 12th grade, please sign up at efree.org slash events and make this a priority uh, because you need to be speaking into your son's life when it comes to sexuality. Um, uh, one other thing that I want to share with you is that a lot of our church family is away this weekend. They are at Pinecrest. I was there Friday and Saturday. Here's a, a quick shot of what that looked like. We've got 45 families there at Pinecrest this weekend. 18 of them are actually new to First Free. In fact, one of them that I talked with, uh, I didn't recognize a lot of people when I was looking around. And, and uh, you know, a lot of them I did, but Close to half of them I didn't. And so I started getting to know people. And so how long have you been coming to First Free? And well, we've been coming for two weeks now. Wow, okay. You got in quick. Uh, but we told them if you're new and you want to connect to people, go to Pinecrest. So we've got a great group there. Pastor Bill Jones, our former senior pastor, is the speaker this weekend. He is speaking there right now to the camp, and they're having a blast. It's a, it's a really great time. So just be praying for them that they'd have a, a wonderful time. It's a great chance for families to connect, for parents to invest in their kids, and they do a really, really good job there. So it's an exciting thing going on there. Well, let's get into our message time this morning. We're in 1 Timothy. If you've got a Bible, open it up or turn it on, whatever you do. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 4. Of course, we'll put it on the screens as well, but it's always good for you to be looking at this in your own Bible, getting familiar with it, comfortable with it, whatever you use throughout the week. Just as a refresher... 
Paul, you know, is the author of this letter. He's writing to the young man, Timothy, and by young man, I mean in his mid-30s probably, in his first really big assignment, which is leading the church in Ephesus, which is a really large church, multi-site church in Ephesus. And Timothy's encountering a variety of challenges in this church and probably corresponding back to, to Paul. And so Paul's responding back with a lot of pointers, a lot of tips for Timothy. And he doesn't go into a tremendous amount of detail for most of these. For some of these, he does. For some of these, he gives a lot of extra detail when it comes to, for instance, church leadership. But on a lot of things, he's just giving Timothy little nuggets of wisdom, little reminders, because he's already spent all of this time mentoring Timothy. And Timothy had training from his mother and from his grandmother and from other people and from Paul. And so now Paul is just saying, hey, I've heard about this problem you're having. Remember this. Remember this. So last week, We talked about the fact that, hey, Timothy, remember the fact that some of the people in your church who are causing problems, who are leading people astray, who are causing division, are actually being influenced by demonic forces. And so that doesn't lessen the responsibility they have for doing the things they're doing. But just remember what Paul says elsewhere in his letter to the Ephesians, the same church, that our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's against the the rulers of the air. It's against forces behind the scenes that you cannot see. And so just remember who your real enemy is. That's what we talked about last week. And and we use 1 Timothy as sort of a springboard to have that conversation because Paul doesn't go into great detail. He just gives this reminder. And then we want to know, okay, so what did Paul teach about this? We're going to do something similar today. Paul's going to give another reminder, and we're going to use that as a launching pad to go talk about what that means in Scripture. We're in 1 Timothy chapter 4, starting in verse 6. Paul says, If you explain these things to the brothers and sisters, Timothy, you will be a worthy servant of Christ Jesus, one who is nourished by the message of faith and the good teaching you have followed. Do not waste time arguing over godless ideas and old wives' tales. Instead, train yourself to be godly. Physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better. Promising benefits in this life and in the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. This is why we work hard and continue to struggle, for our hope is in the living God, who is the Savior of all people, and particularly of all believers. Before we go further, just join me again, if you would, in a quick word of prayer that God would give us insight as we study today. Heavenly Father, this is your word. Every word of it is true. We believe it, and we want to know how to apply it to our lives today. So as we take this short little passage of Paul's letter to Timothy here, God, I pray that you would illuminate it to us, help us to understand it in a fresh way. If we've read it before, maybe something new that we haven't seen before, and help us to understand how we can apply it this week to our lives. In your name we pray, amen. So Paul tells Timothy that physical training is of some value. There's some use in physical training. It's a good thing to do, but training for godliness is so much better. In fact, not only is it better, but it promises benefits for you both in this life and in the life to come. Physical training is super important for athletes, obviously. And athletics was actually a big part of the ancient Roman world. You you know that the Greeks started the Olympic Games. Well, the Romans, after they conquered, continued those games. And they added lots of other sporting events. They had lots of races and chariot races and different types of sporting events that they enjoyed. And there were people that would be professional athletes who that was their main job 
was to compete in these sports, and then they'd have all these thousands of spectators who would come and watch. You're probably familiar with the Colosseum in Rome, if you've ever had a chance to visit. It's amazing to walk through that Colosseum, but it's also just crowded with tourists. Well, there are other Colosseums in many other parts of the world, many of them built by the Romans around the same time. Uh, in fact, the movie Gladiator, which was set in the Colosseum largely, uh, a lot of the filming was actually done in a different Colosseum built to copy the one in Rome by the Romans because they just loved these sporting events so much they would build these Colosseums in different places. So there are a number of these around the ancient world. And so the Romans, they loved their sports, they loved athletics, and it seems like Paul picked up on this, and he used something that was very relevant to the culture. Maybe today he would write uh, analogies about football or baseball or hockey or something like that. Uh, but one of the p- most popular sports back then was running, and so he uses racing in a lot of his analogies and some other athletics as well. Let me give you one example. He, he, he does this a lot in his different letters, but I'll just give you one from 1 Corinthians. He says, don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs... But only one person gets the prize. So run to win. Be serious about this. Be committed to this. He's using this as an analogy for your spiritual life. He says all athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away. But we do it for an eternal prize. Do you see the connection there between this and 1 Timothy, where he says that training for godliness is, is good, not just for this life, but for the life to come, as opposed to physical training. So he says, I run with purpose in every step. I am not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete. So just like a professional athlete would, I'm going to discipline my body and be just as consistent and just as conditioned, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. It seems like Paul really enjoyed sports or at the very least saw them as a very useful analogy for our spiritual lives, for what we should be doing in this life as followers of Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus, this is very important to you. And he loved this analogy of athletes being disciplined and having their lives lived in a certain way, very orderly, very structured in what they do and don't do to make sure they're positioned to win in whatever sport they are playing. And and you know it's not easy to be an elite athlete. It takes a lot of hard work, a lot of dedication. There are a lot of challenges along the way. A few years ago, a foundation in Scotland brought together about 40 of the best athletes in the world at different sports to a place where a bunch of high school students were gathered so they could share with them what are the biggest challenges you face and how have you overcome them? How can you stay such an elite athlete when it requires so much hard work? And I'll just give you a few examples of what they told them. Chris Hoy is the most successful Olympic cyclist of all time. And here's what he said. For me, there was no option. I knew that every day counted, every single effort, every session counted towards that gold medal. And the thought of missing just one session or even being late for it, well, that was never an option. That's how committed he had to be. Lee Craigie is a champion women's mountain biker. And she said, spending time with friends and family is my distraction. Sometimes I've got to decide that actually spending time with friends and family needs to take second place to going out on my bike to practice. It would be so nice just to hang out and drink coffee, but sometimes you've got to just break a habit to make sure you go out and train. That's how committed she has to be. And one more, Susan Eaglestaff said it's so easy to get into the habit of doing normal things like watching TV, meeting friends, But when you're training and you're a full-time athlete, you just can't do that. You have to be really disciplined. 
You have to have your long-term goal in your head all the time and know that sometimes you can't do the things that your friends and family can do. You have to sacrifice things, but all the hard work will pay off in the end. This is the mindset of an elite athlete. And it's the imagery that Paul wants Timothy and us to have in mind as we think about our spiritual growth, our spiritual training, what Paul calls training in godliness. I think it's also a helpful analogy for us as we come out of the pandemic. The pandemic brought a lot of terrible things with it. I mean, it brought obviously sickness and and death. Um, And and we have felt that in our community here at First Free. Um, It brought a lot of other challenges along with it that were connected to it. And certainly we're experiencing the ripple of effect of that too. And we're not completely out of it by any means. It's affected us in some really terrible ways. Um, but, But also it's brought some interesting positives with it. I remember the first few months of the pandemic, a lot of people talking about how suddenly they had a lot more time than they had before. Now, I didn't experience that personally, and I know not everyone did. Uh, for some of us, the pandemic was the, was the busiest time of our lives as we were trying to figure out how to do everything differently now that we all were stuck at home, you know? And so certainly in the church, well, we had a lot of extra work to do to pull that off. But for many people, it was almost like the timeline of the family life was rewound back to a simpler time. And suddenly we had the margin to do hobbies that we didn't do before. Um, some of you probably took up gardening or got a pet or, 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 you know, started, I don't know, working on puzzles or doing woodworking. Or There's all these things I heard about people doing. I saw the posts online. Didn't get to experience that myself. But I saw how everybody got to do all these extra things. And, and then family dinners happened. That in some families hadn't happened in a long time. And now we were eating dinner together and we had more time. And, well, you know, all the sports are shut down. So we can't go you know, run kids around to the different sporting events. And, and we can't go do all the things we would normally do. And I can't go to all the meetings I'd normally go to. So, you know, I don't have a commute anymore because everything's online. It just, it left us with so much more margin in some cases to be able to spend time together as a family. And that's, that's a really good and, and wonderful thing. And I wondered... If coming out of the pandemic and as things started to open up again, if we would just learn some lessons from that, and if our culture would shift a little bit and go, wow, we really loved not having to run ourselves ragged week to week. We really loved being able to spend more time together as a family and not having so commitments and not being involved in so many things. And so maybe it would just cause our our country to kind of have a better margin and better balance in life. Uh, and, and maybe you have, maybe you've, you've learned those lessons, but from where I'm sitting and from a lot of the people that I talk to, it seems like we have bounced back really well to our pre-pandemic busy lives. And in some cases, we're just as busy as we were before. In some cases, we're even more busy than we were before doing all the things. And once everything opened back up, it's like we forgot, many of us, about that margin, how wonderful that was. And now we're involved in lots of things and we're super, super busy again. And I don't know if that reflects you or not. It reflects a lot of the people that I talk to. But work can consume us. Um, Sports can be what our lives are all about, whether it's sports that we're in or our kids are in or or that we enjoy watching and, and get really into. Even working out can be an idol for some people. There are so many good things good things that we can do and good things that we've jumped back into um, as we've opened up more and more in, during, in coming out of the pandemic, um, that those, some of those good things can actually end up taking priority over spending time with God. I wonder how many of us, at, during the lockdowns especially, were able to spend a little bit more time reading God's Word 
and a little more time in prayer. And maybe some of us went, hey, this is actually really nice to just, you know, there's nothing else to do. So let's go ahead and spend time with God. But coming out of the pandemic, it seems that we've filled our lives with so many things again. And in many cases, we've ended up crowding our time with God out more and more. And so I think this is especially relevant for us today. I I, I wonder if many of the activities that we're involved in that are good things to do are actually taking us away from our time with God. Or as Paul would say, training for godliness. And hey, some of those things are very, very good things. And like Paul said, physical training, if it's, it's of some value. But hey, training for godliness is so much more. It gives us value not only in this life, but in the life to come. So that's so much more important for us. Now, Paul doesn't go into great detail here telling us what does training for godliness look like exactly. He just says it. And then he kind of moves on to some other stuff and doesn't give us a ton of details. So what I want to do this morning is take this little reminder from Paul. And I want to look at what the New Testament says that would help us to understand what training for godliness really means. If that's what we're supposed to do, if that's what we're supposed to prioritize, what does it mean? How can we do it? And I want to do it through the lens that that Paul did it. I want to look at the physical training that an athlete would do and then say, okay, how can we understand that in terms of our spiritual walk? Let's take the discipline and the focus and the concentration of a professional athlete, and let's try to apply that to our walk with Christ. Now, as we do this, I want to ask you to do something different here, because I'm going to give you five specific areas that a professional athlete has to have to be really good at what they do. And then we're going to see how in Scripture a Christian is supposed to do that with regard to their spiritual life. As we go through each of those five things, I would encourage you to write them down, first of all. So if you're a note lover, you're going to love this. And then I would encourage you to put a number next to that point that you write down. A number between 1 and 10 that represents the rating that you would give yourself in that area right now. Now, this is not a test. No one's going to come by and grade you as you walk out the doors. The ushers are not going to be checking up on you. This is just for you privately to say, hey, at the end of all of this, as I'm looking at these five scores, is there an area that I have let slack off in my life? Is there an area that I'm holding on to something that I need to surrender over to God so that I can do a better job in training for righteousness and training for godliness? Because after all, Paul says that's what really matters. So uh, before we do that, let me just talk a little bit about verse 6 to make sure we've got our context here. In verse 6, Paul says that Timothy's been nourished by the good teaching that he's followed and that he should explain these things to the other brothers and sisters in Christ. So don't keep it to yourself, Timothy. Paul says you need to be sharing these things to the other Christians there, and so this has obviously been passed down to us. And then in verse 7, Paul says don't waste your time on things that don't matter. He calls them old wives' tales and just things that are important to be focused on. There are all sorts of distractions that we have, distractions that could keep us from doing the things that we need to be doing. He says, don't don't worry about that. But instead, in verse 8, he says, physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better. So don't allow yourselves to be distracted by those things. Training for godliness is so much better, promising benefits in this life and in the life to come. Now, evidently, this was some kind of a known phrase at the time, and that's why it's in quotation marks here, and that's why Paul says this is a trustworthy saying. So it was some saying that they said in the church. You know, we have phrases like this in the church that will say, you got a major on the majors and minor on the minors, or love the sinner, hate the sin, those kinds of things. You know, we have those phrases that we use, that when someone says them, you immediately know, ah, I know what that means, and I know what to connect that to. 
And evidently, this was a saying like that in the church. Physical training is, is valuable, but training for godliness is better. And it's better in this life, and it's better in the life to come. So Paul is leveraging that phrase and saying, hey, remember this, and it's true. And everyone should follow this. This idiom, this phrase, this catchphrase is true, Timothy. And so Timothy would have known what that meant. And we want to dig into that and give you those five things of what does the Bible say our training for godliness should look like. So the first thing I'll share with you is that if a professional athlete is going to be really good at what they do, there's one thing they've got to have right off the bat, which is they have to be committed. They have to be really, really committed and not let obstacles get in their way. If you've ever watched sporting events and seen at the end of like a football game or a baseball game or something like that, where they interview the the players that lost, I always feel so bad for them, right? It's like, you just lost the game, gave up a huge lead. What do you think? You know, and they they make them talk about it and their head's low and and they're down. But, But what do they say? They say things like, well, you know. Yeah, we didn't play as well as we should have. Uh, we're just going to go back there and do our work and look at the tape and make sure we're ready for next time. And we're, we're going to get ready for the next game. That's all we can do. We're going to get ready for the next game. Why? Because they're committed. They're not going to quit. They're not going to give up. That's the mindset that a professional athlete has to have. And we have to have the same mindset when it comes to our walk with Christ. We have to be committed. We have to be devoted. Jesus talked about this in Luke chapter 14. He said, if you want to be my disciple... You must, by comparison, hate everyone else. Your father, your mother, your wife, your children, brothers and sisters. Yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. Now, is Jesus saying that you literally have to hate these people to be his disciple? No, he's saying by comparison. In other words, your following of Jesus has to be the highest priority. And there are other things that are going to creep in there and get you to want to follow them instead and spend more time with them, even good things. Is it good to have a family? Yeah, it's a wonderful thing to have a family. And, and, and if you're privileged enough to have a family and a family that you have good relationships with and want to spend time with, that's wonderful. And yet, Jesus says, you have to be so committed to your walk with me that you are willing to put them in a second chair. You're willing to say, my time with God is more important even than my time with family. Now, I don't know if I would say that family in this day and age and this culture is, is always the, the biggest idol that takes the place of God, although I have seen it sometimes, where, where sometimes we are not willing to spend the time with God that we should because of all the things we commit to with our family. And so we spend lots of time carting the kids around and going to this thing and going to that thing. And when did we make time with God a priority this day, this week? But Jesus is saying, by comparison to your family, you've got to almost hate them compared to how much you are committed to following me. So we have to be committed. The next thing professional athletes have to do is they have to have the right diet. They've got to eat the right things. They can't eat a bunch of junk food. They can't eat a bunch of sugar, especially before they go out and have a big game. If they, if they have a ton of sugar before a big game, what are they going to do? 30 minutes in, they're going to crash. They've got to eat the kinds of things that are going to make them effective and successful on the field or in whatever they're doing. They have to have the right kind of diet. Many Christians really don't eat well spiritually. We snack here and there. We, you know, get a little bit of a meal here on Sundays. Maybe there's a little thing we hear on the radio or see online or something that pops up in our our news feed. But we don't actually have a regular, consistent meal of God's word, of spending time with God, of having good biblical conversations with other Christians and talking about what God's doing in our lives. 
Those are the types of things that feed us spiritually, and yet what are our diets filled with? What are we filling our mind's stomach with, if you'll let me put it that way? Well, oftentimes it's social media, it's news, it's politics, it's sports, it's all kinds of other things that on their own are not necessarily bad, but they've become the bulk of our diet. And we're not consuming God's words and God's teachings as our main meal, as our main food. We're not prioritizing that every single day in our lives. This uh, was something that came up when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness. And, And the devil came to him. He went off into the wilderness. He fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, had no food. Remember, he was fully God, but he was also fully man. So he had an appetite. He was very hungry. I don't know about you, but I I love food. And if I go for for 40 minutes without food, I feel it. But he goes for 40 days without food. That's a big deal. And the devil comes to him at this point and says, hey, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. Now, here's why he's saying that son of God here does not mean biological son of God. It's a position thing. This is a a title that back in ancient times would sometimes be used for a lesser king with relevance to a a more um, prominent king. So they'd be called the son of them, even though it wasn't, they weren't the biological son. This is a positional term. So son of God here means God, just the position of son within the triune Godhead. So if you are God in the position of the son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. And Jesus says to him, no, the scriptures say people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now that is amazing to me that Jesus, who is obviously so hungry at this point, humanly speaking, is saying human food, though it's of some value, is nothing compared to spiritual food. You cannot live by bread alone. You cannot live just by the food that you would consume for your mortal body. But what about your spiritual appetite? What are you filling that with? What are you filling your mind with? And Jesus says, it's the word that comes from the mouth of God. The teaching that we have recorded in the words of God. The, the food that happens when we sit down with other believers and we talk about spiritual things together. You know, it's kind of funny. When I first got into ministry... My perception of full-time ministry was that it was just going to be conversations about the Bible all the time. And like just these edifying, like we're studying it, we're learning, we're growing in it. And once I got into ministry, I quickly realized that it's actually very different than that. There's a lot more that has to happen to, to make the church work properly. And most of the issues people are dealing with aren't, aren't strictly like, how do I interpret this passage in the Bible? But it's like, I'm upset at this person and I'm upset at that person. And that's a lot of the types of things you deal with in full-time ministry or, or, or different hurts and challenges and struggles and things like that. And every now and then, we'll just get into a good theological conversation and I'm reminded, oh, this is so nice. Like you would think we would have those all the times, but time, but we don't necessarily because there's all sorts of other things to deal with. And so when we do just have a really good theological conversation where we, we dig into the Bible and we talk about what do you think this means and what do you think that means? It's just like, oh, wow, that was really refreshing. Do you ever have that sense of you, you sit down and you study God's word and you weren't looking forward to it or you had to really, really force yourself to do it and then afterwards you go, man, that was so good. I'm glad I did that. Or you have a conversation with someone about the Bible and you leave just going, man, that was really encouraging. I just really appreciate that. It's because your soul is being nourished. It's spiritual food for you. When you're reading God's words or when you're talking about God's words together and learning from each other, having those conversations, 
It's spiritual food that helps with your diet as you train for godliness. Number three, if you're going to be a professional athlete, you have to understand the fundamentals. You've got to have the fundamentals down. Uh, this coming up in a little bit here, I'm going to start coaching basketball. And I had to go through a training program to be able to coach basketball uh, and, and just kind of be refreshed on what do they want the kids to learn and, and how do you do different things. And they've got to have, you know, situational awareness and good ball handling skills and be able to shoot the ball well with a proper form, no offense, no defense, know the rules of the game, all the fundamentals. I'm going to have to be able to teach that to kids so they can really understand the game. And if some of them are talented, they may end up going on and playing, you know, at higher levels one day, um, but they're going to have to learn the fundamentals first. And what happens when you've got a person who is incredibly talented and just has amazing athletic ability, but they can't seem to get the fundamentals down? They don't do very well as a professional athlete. And we look at them and we say, what a waste. I mean, this guy can run so fast. He can jump so high. She can, she can do whatever she wants to with the ball. But the problem is, when it comes time to make that decision, they don't make the right call because they haven't learned the fundamentals. You know, maybe they're a pitcher and they have an amazing arm. They can do incredible things, but they don't have any situational awareness. They're not good at keeping track of who's on what base and, and they don't understand the kind of the, the way the game works. They have a hard time remembering the, the signals that they're supposed to use. And so because they don't have the fundamentals, they end up costing their team the game, even though they're an incredible talented athlete or a, a wide receiver, somebody in a football game. They can be the fastest person, have the highest jump of anybody, amazing hands, catch the ball, no problem. But if they can't remember their routes and the snap count, they're toast. They're not going to be an asset to that team. And we all know of people, or most of us can think of people who were incredibly talented, but they just kept making dumb mistakes because they didn't have the fundamentals. Well, we as Christians can, can do the exact same thing. In fact, sometimes we learn the fundamentals and then we sort of forget them. We let them slip over time the longer we are Christians. The Bible actually talks about this in the book of Hebrews. It's really interesting. Hebrews says, you've been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others. In other words, you ought to be a coach. You ought to be helping other people to learn these things. Instead, you need someone to teach you again the basic things about God's word, the fundamentals, the basic things, the things you were so excited about when you first came to Jesus. If you've known him for a long time, it is so easy to let those slip away and just sort of coast through life and forget about the fundamentals. He says, you are like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. Well, I hope that can't be said of us. But I think for all of us, myself included, there are elements where that stings really hard and it rings true. That, man, there are certain things that when you come to know Jesus, you're just, you're excited about the Bible and you can't get enough of it. You're just consuming it all the time. Like, this is amazing. And you want to tell people about Jesus and you want to spend time in prayer because suddenly, like, this whole world of being connected to your Heavenly Father is just unlocked for you. And you feel this weight of guilt and shame that's taken off of you because he's taken away your sin. And there's this new life in Christ that's so amazing. And then in year two, it starts to slip away a little bit. And year three, even more. And year four, and by year five, it's like, yep, I'm a Christian. And I go to church. And I serve a little bit. And I, I do some good things. I bust out the Bible every now and then. And we lose our first love, what Jesus talks about in Revelation. We lose that passion that we had. It's all about the basics of the faith, the fundamentals. You've got to learn them, 
If you're a new Christian and you've got to keep going back to them, no matter how long you've been a believer, you have to have the fundamentals. Number four, professional athletes have to be consistent. You cannot just practice once or twice and be a good athlete. Even the best pros in the world, in fact, the the more professional you get, the more practice and training you need to have to stay at that level, to stay ahead of the competition. You've got to be so consistent and condition your body and be involved in practicing all the time. You've got to get your muscles into shape. You've got to strengthen your bones. You've got to increase your stamina. You've got to make your body more efficient. And if you do that regularly, you'll be a better athlete. And Paul says that's of some value. But so much more valuable is training for godliness. And this requires consistency. Let me ask you, and feel free to not raise your hand, how many of you have started a devotional and not finished it? I'm guessing a lot of us. I certainly have. And you start with such great ambition. You know, when you found this great thing, a friend recommended it to you, and you, and you bought it, and you, you do day one, and you're like, this is amazing, this is going to change my life. And day two, you're like, okay, I do it again. And day three, you're like, ah, I got to get going. And so often what we lack in our spiritual life and our training for godliness is just the consistency. I'm working on this with my son right now. He can read pretty well. He can write pretty well. So um, I thought it was time to really teach him how to study the Bible for himself. And I didn't want to just give him some kind of a workbook that's like a fill-in-the-blank kind of thing. Most of the kids' devotionals out there I didn't feel like really um, did what I was hoping for. I want him to be able to look at any passage in Scripture and kind of understand, like, how do I rightly divide this? How do I interpret this? How do I apply it? Understand it? Um, So we spent some time recently sitting down, and I made a devotional book for us, and and we walked through how to study a passage of the Bible together. And then we have this devotional book. They're identical. He's got his. I've got mine. So we can work on them together, and then every week or two, come back and say, so what have you been learning? What have you been going through? And and he's loving it, and he he dove into it right away. Of course, you know, at this age, any time with dad is like a, a perk, right? So we're trying to instill that that feeling of like, I like studying the Bible because it's like part of what I do with my dad, you know, and, and build that in for the future. So um, we did that and we started working through it together. And then a couple of days ago, we sat down one morning before school and we, we pulled out our devotional books. And we started looking through it and he had worked way ahead of me. I mean, he just went through day after day after day of this thing. He's like, well, yeah, I did. I did five days yesterday. and I did three days this morning. And it's like, that's awesome. I'm glad you're so eager. However, the point of this is not to get it all done. That's the overachiever kind of thinking, right? The point of this is not to get it all done. The point is to build consistency. The point is to build this habit, this healthy rhythm of like every day I am in God's word. Every day I'm spending time in prayer and I'm conditioning myself. I'm training myself. So this is something I will do every day. You know, athletes often talk about the challenge they have with being consistent in their training because there are days where they just don't feel like it. And if what you do is based on what you feel, then you won't last very long at anything because you have to be consistent enough and disciplined enough. Discipline is all about doing the right thing when you don't feel like it. And so professional athletes have to be disciplined enough to say, even though every fiber of my being wants to stay in this bed, I'm going to get out there and run. I'm going to get out there and bike. I'm going to get out there and swim. I'm going to get out there and do the thing that's going to keep my body in shape and build this consistent habit in my life. And why don't we do that with our walk with God? Why can't our walk with God have the same level of consistency that a professional athlete would have? 
Because as Paul says, what we are working toward is so much more valuable than what they are working toward, which will fade away. We've got to be consistent. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord, for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. There are times where we just don't feel like getting up in the morning and doing what we should do. And I'm not saying you have to do it in the morning. Um, Maybe that's the best time for you to spend time with God. Maybe it's in the evening. Maybe it's the afternoon. Maybe it's over your lunch break. I, I don't know. It's different for different people. But there are times where we just don't feel like it. And we have to remember, it's never useless. Even when, even when we walk away and think, boy, I didn't understand that, it's never useless. We are conditioning ourselves. We're building a habit. We're building a rhythm so that we can be trained for godliness. Be strong. Be immovable. Be consistent. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord. It's never useless. Number five, the last one we'll talk about today, is that professional athletes have to make sacrifices. They have to make sacrifices. And I, I hope that as we go through these, you're giving yourselves a score One to ten, how am I doing right now? So that you can see at the end, where am I falling short right now? But the last one is sacrifices. If you're going to be an athlete, you've got to sacrifice some of the things you might want to do. You might have to play video games less. You might have to spend time with friends less. You might have to choose a different career so that you can do this on the side long enough to where maybe, hopefully, one day this could become your career as a professional athlete. You might have to choose not to spend as much time with friends or, or family or, or drink coffee or, or drink other kind of foods, or drinks or foods that would cause you to have a difficulty in whatever the sport is that you're pursuing. You have to make sacrifices to be able to be the best at what you're doing and to, and to win. And it's no different for the Christian. We have to be willing to make sacrifices. There are certain things, in some cases good things, that we have to be willing to give up in order to be trained for godliness. And certainly some bad things that we have to give up as well. Paul says in Romans 12, brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he's done for you. If you think about what God did for us, what should our response be? Give your body to him. Let it be a holy, a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Your whole body, your whole life, everything you are should be a sacrifice to God. And then he says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. That's part of training for godliness. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Don't copy the behavior of the world. That means you are going to have to sacrifice some things. Your life, your body needs to be presented as a sacrifice to God. And there are certain things that you need to trim out of your life and create some boundaries around because they're taking away from your relationship with God. Now, some of those might be the behaviors of the world. Some of those might be things that that you did before. And this is something I've noticed. Before we come to Christ and we're living a life of sin, then we trust in Jesus. And then afterwards, it's usually not all that difficult for us to say, this is the type of person I was, and now I've, I've been changed. I've been transformed by Christ. How amazing. And we're usually fairly open and transparent about our pre Christ days and kind of what we did, what we were involved in for the most part. But after we trust in Christ, and we slip into sinful habits. We're not quite so open. After we trust in Christ, and now there's this kind of guilt and shame associated with, yeah, I know I'm not supposed to do that, but I'm, I'm doing this, I'm involved in this, and, and whatever it is, it's different for different people. 
You, you know you, and it's between you and the Holy Spirit, and hopefully you have a, a group of people that can help keep you accountable. That's one of the reasons why groups are so important to us, why we say community is core. It's, it's such an important thing for us to have those people in our lives to hold us accountable in, in, in kind of areas that we struggle in. But after we come to Christ, it's so much harder sometimes to be open and transparent about where we are struggling, and yet we still struggle. We struggle with copying the behaviors and the customs of the world or, or in, enjoying that and filling our minds with that, making that a big part of our appetite. And what Paul is saying here in Romans chapter 12 is you're going to have to not only present yourself as a living sacrifice, but you're going to have to sacrifice some of those other things. You're going to have to live differently than other people. After all, God made us to be different. He made us to be lights in a dark world. He made us to be salt in the world. We are supposed to be different. We're supposed to be unique. But that means we have to sacrifice some stuff that the world is going to do. It also might mean we have to sacrifice some good things, some things that we would like to do, because they take priority in our lives over our relationship with God. And that's Paul's point in 1 Timothy chapter 4. He says, hey, physical training is not a bad thing, but training for godliness is so much better. So how are you doing? If you were to look at those five scores and say, okay, I'm a, I'm a nine on this one, I'm a seven on this one, I'm a five over here, I'm an eight over here. Maybe let's look at that five this week and say, is there a part of my life that I need to surrender over to God because I have not been doing the training that I need to do? I think what Paul would say to us today is you need to get serious about your walk with Christ. You are serious about a lot of things. You're probably, some of you are very serious about politics. You're very serious about the news. You're very serious about sports. You're very serious about certain hobbies that you are into. There are things that consume a lot of your time. You're serious about your job. How serious are you about training for godliness? Because here's the thing. This is the one thing that comes with a promise, not just for this life, but for the future. Think about that. Think about that. Physical training, it's of some value. A lot of the other stuff you're involved in, it's of some value. But Paul says, if you will invest some time and be consistent and be dedicated and choose to make sacrifices to make this a priority on training and godliness, this will actually help you in the future. If you were to envision eternity, and let's say that you were born right over there on that wall, and eternity just goes that way, but it just kind of stretches across this room. And you just kind of visualize all of eternity for you. The amount that represents this life here on earth is, is just a little tiny fraction. We have this little, little glimpse, Solomon calls it in Ecclesiastes, a vapor. Our life is but a vapor. It's here and then it's gone. We have this little bit of time. And Paul says, if you will invest that time in training for godliness, it's going to not only benefit you now, it's going to benefit for you for eternity. If we believe that, that should change the priorities in our life. If we believe that, that should change the conversations we have with other people. That should change where we invest our money. That should change where we invest our time, what we do with our families. That is not to say that we then need to go become monks. And all we should be doing is reading scripture and praying. That's all we should do. That's not the way Jesus lived. The Bible also tells us we're supposed to be in the world, interacting with other people, sharing the gospel with them, making, building relationships with them, being wise financial stewards. There is so much in the Bible that gives us this wonderful balance. But unfortunately, I think in our culture in particular, we, we get to this point where in our, in our westernized society, we just coast through life and we miss the abundant life that Jesus promised. We missed, we missed the training for godliness and the emphasis we're supposed to have on that in our spiritual walk because there are so many things that distract us in this world. So my challenge to you 
is to get serious about it this week. To prioritize training for godliness. Whatever that needs to look like for you. Whatever area, whatever score needs to be brought up. That's between you and the Holy Spirit. Let him do his work in your life this week. I want to pray for you right now if you'd bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and for these reminders. For what you teach us about who you are and what you've done for us and then how you want us to live as a response. And I will be the first to confess and admit that I do not always do this well. And it can be a real challenge to stay consistent and to push those other things aside and to have the right diet. Um, And I I certainly don't want to stand up here as someone that says, oh, I've got this figured out because that is not true. All of us struggle with this, Lord. And I pray that you would reveal to each and every one of us, whether they're in the room right now, whether they're watching online right now, whoever it is, God, would you show us through your Holy Spirit that you give us individually, where is that area in my life that I have not been consistent, that I have not been focused on training for godliness? And and maybe it's something specific that we're involved in, where we've just kind of kept you out. Uh, Maybe it's been slacking off on spending time in your word and, and feeding ourselves spiritually with the right kind of food. Maybe it's been our conversations with you and our prayer life that's been kind of non-existent lately as we've been so busy rushing from one thing to another thing and carting the kids around and school and, and, all the, and work and all the other things that we do. God, I pray that this time this morning would not be our only spiritual meal this week, but that it would just be the primer, the appetizer that would lead to a buffet this whole week where we're growing with you, making you a priority in our lives and sacrificing things that can take a back seat as if we're hating them by comparison to the joy of knowing you and following you. And Lord, we we praise you for the promise that that will benefit us not only in this life, but in eternity. Help us to value it like like we know you mean it. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen.